The Third Man Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Back to the Third Man podcast. I'm just I'm jumping right in. This is a Jack White and Third Man Records history program. I'm your host Paul Kaminsky. I'm your other co-host James Kaminsky, and today oh, we're joined by a design guru of the Third Man world. Let's call him Ooh, Guru. I like who that. has done work for many different artists in the Third Man orbit and continues to put out some posters for Jack White, and it's amazing stuff. You've seen his work, I'm sure. It's Matthew Jacobson is here with us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. I am endlessly fascinated by your craft, by your work specifically, by the thought that that goes into these kinds of things, because Jack White tour posters, it's really, like, I wouldn't necessarily call them unique in the world of rock, but they're damn close. Like, the way he has 
turn them into almost like trading cards for concerts or something like that. And they, they're not uh, always specific to, you know, some kind of rock and roll imagery or something, but they're kind of far out and dabble in all these kinds of different visual palettes that we find so endlessly captivating. And so it's lovely having you on the show. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Why don't we jump right in here? If folks aren't familiar, Matthew has created numerous designs for record covers, for tour posters, for any number of things, vault releases. So people would be familiar with a lot of the design work that he's done. Let's kind of get into your connection to music and design. It goes pretty far back. When did you decide to start working in music itself? I don't know if it was a conscious decision to do so. I've always been interested in music, but I've never had a natural talent for it or put in the needed effort, you know, into being anything other than a fan. But my dad had been a singer. And so when I was growing up, you know, there was his music. And I mean, that was really sort of the genesis of my interest was really listening to my dad's songs. Well, tell us a little bit about your father. What kind of music? Was he a songwriter as well? Uh, yeah, my dad wrote songs. Uh, he had recorded a cover of a song called Oh You Beautiful Doll that was released as a single on 20th Century Fox. That was his sole single. It was reissued maybe a dozen years ago by a Spanish label called Elephant Records, E-L-E-F-A-N-T. Um, no relation. No, no. Oh, yes. No, definitely no relation. <laughs> no relation. Um, sold about as much. No, no. Unfortunately, not. Uh, so music's around the house. So what kind of styles are we talking here? We're we talking sort of pop stuff, kind of crooner stuff. What are we talking? So crooners, the stuff that my dad used to listen to was very much yeah. crooners. You know, Jack Jones, Mel Torme, Paul Anka. But, you know, I was definitely interested in music and really not much else, even though I couldn't play it. Uh, I ended up going to school for design, um, to college for design mm -hmm. in New York. And after oh, I... Where'd you go? Uh, I went to Parsons. Ah, Parsons. Oh, yeah, okay. a lot of people know of it now because of the um, Project Runway television series, which mm. at least used to take place at Parsons. Yeah, the Parsons Project, they call it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gra <laughs> Graham was a, uh, <laughs> was a great instructor there. I went to SVA. Just so oh, you did, yeah. Not, I was in the city, but not Parsons. Yeah, very, very nearby. I was there probably many years before you. Um, <laughs> I did see in, I think it was at the SVA, has a movie theater there now uh, in New York. And I saw the premiere, I believe, of the Cream Magazine documentary oh, there. Oh, cool. Nice. And little known fact, well, little known by anyone 
who doesn't know me, um, is that I grew up two doors down from the family that had founded Cream. Uh, so JJ, oh, wow. who has recently reacquired the rights to the magazine, yes. uh, who yeah. is uh, several years younger than me, grew up just two doors down from me. Wow. So I, I've been seeing the ads for the return and I've been looking forward to it because Cream was before my time, but it's definitely something, I mean, obviously we're big Beatle fans. Yeah. And that that looms large in Beatle uh, rock journalism. You know, Cream was a, a very important magazine for a very long time. So I've been actually looking forward to its return. It's really cool. It's great. They have issue one is out, and I believe issue two is coming very soon. Fantastic. Nice. Wow. Yeah. And it also kind of looms closer to, to our world with a lot of gig postery kind of vibes to the artwork that kind of goes in there. A lot of um, Robert Crumb kind of style. Yeah, Robert Crumb designed which, their Boy Howdy character, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is pretty cool. So you had asked me how I started working in music, and it really came from not any talent whatsoever in music, again, other than just being a fan. But I was working at a small design studio called Number 17 in New York, And we got a project to design a CD. This was in the 90s, so most of the design were CDs. (laughs) I used to think, oh, I'm a CD designer. Not a CD designer, but a a CD designer. (laughs) Uh, But uh, it was a guy named David Yazbek who was very little known at the time, but he went on to write and record, I believe, the soundtracks to many popular Broadway musicals. Um, But at the time, it was a record called The Laughing Man. This is where I live, under the cellar floor, deep inside the ground, down near the earth's core, make your presence known. That's what the button's for, two little bells that... And it wasn't a particularly great album cover, but it definitely sparked my interest in design for music. And around this same time, which would have been the early slash mid-90s, I started to become friends with a lot of people in bands, some of whom uh, were looking for someone to design their album cover, and others who were looking for someone to release their record, and some who were looking for both. And it was an era of sort of the indie record labels. And I thought, well, you know, if I can design it, I won't have the expense of designing the records. (laughs) You know, I don't have to hire someone to do that. So there's just the manufacturing cost. And I ended up starting a very small independent record label, designing most of the covers myself and just sort of learning by doing and, and cutting my teeth in that way. Wow. The artwork for those are fantastic i was looking through the discogs release oh, cool. uh through through that uh, le grand magistry catalog uh that is the the record label by the way and that was that was around the early aughts and i was curious about how that label started up that, that kind of answers my question was that in the detroit area at the time well you know i started the label when i was still in new york but okay. uh but I ended up actually moving back to the Detroit area uh, around that time and only left Detroit again after I met my wife. Uh, and I met my wife 
because I had signed a Canadian band called Stars uh, to the record label, and we had planned a tour, Stars opening for another one of the label's artists, who's uh, Momus, and I was opening up uh, doing uh, sort of magic and mind reading and escapes. And I, I asked the members of Stars if they, if one of their members would help me performing a mind reading act while on tour. And they said that they're bringing an old high school friend of theirs on the road to be their electric violinist, keyboardist, and backing vocalist. Uh, and they assumed that she'd be interested. And sort of on that tour, which was up the West Coast from L.A. to Seattle... My wife, Lee, and I sort of fell in love on, on that tour. Uh, she was living in Montreal at the time, which is where the band was residing. I was still in Detroit. And eventually we moved to New York together and then British Columbia and, and now Chicago. Wow, what a wonderful stretch of land to fall in love on. My God. Yeah, right? <laughs> it, was, it was great. James and I drove up that stretch of land uh, when he helped me move my things from L.A. to uh, Portland not that long ago. And James and I also fell in love and had three kids. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, it happens. That's true. <laughs> I mean, it's a little weird, it's but... 2022, uh, yeah, no, that. Um, so you're from Detroit. Can you answer something for me? Sure. I had today, This is and this is true, I had today for the first time something what I think is native to your land called a coney. Oh, a coney dog. <laughs> Well, I didn't have it on a dog. But what I'm asking is, is a coney just like chili? Is that all it is? Oh, no, a coney is a is a hot dog. With with a, now maybe I'm wrong, but I believe a coney is a hot dog. It's just the hot covered dog. with you know a bit of chili, mustard, with the chili. relish, and pickles. mustard. Okay. Yeah. So the chili and mustard that was the combo. See, I had it on a hamburger, and then I had it on French mm. fries. Oh, interesting. Uh, but I didn't have it on a dog, and I was sitting there wondering, is this what? people in Detroit eat. <laughs> I guess it, it, it is not. That's all it's people not. from Detroit eat. Yes. <laughs> they just eat chili and mustard exclusively. Now that combo, though, is a very distinct flavor palette because you have not, not to make this all, what do you call it, the uh, vinegar in the mustard cuts through in the chili. We can stop talking about this. Anyway, um, so that's your history in the record label. So where do you transition from there now, you're doing artwork for bands throughout that time. What was your first cover that you can recall, and what was your approach to that cover? Uh, so my first cover uh, for for my label, uh, so I had done that David Yazbek uh, album cover. The, 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 I did that with uh, Emily Oberman and Bonnie Siegler. Emily, the designer of your DC yes. Comics uh, uh, logo, she and Bonnie ran the design firm. Uh, it was called The Laughing Man, and the joke was that there was a very serious photo of him on the cover. He wasn't laughing. It wasn't a great cover, and in fact, the album ended <laughs> up coming out – well, it came out with that cover, but then it was re-released not long after with a very different cover. So I'm assuming that I'm not alone in thinking it wasn't a great cover. Um, <laughs> But the first cover I designed properly and, and for my label was for this artist named Momus. And it was a collection of sort of rare tracks and B-sides called 20 Vodka Jellies. Caress your little cat Stroke me with your hand I know I'm just a kitten But I long to be a man My little eyes are Chinese blue They view with some regret the cover, front, back, inside, CD, disc, etc., 
all elements referenced song lyrics. So there's a lyric about a cigar label, and so the front cover essentially looks like a cigar label, and within that label are elements from all of the songs, all 20 songs that are on this record. Uh, and、That's、if、cool. you listen to the songs and you read the lyrics, you'll pick up on the, the meaning of various aspects. Even the, the CD disc, you know, sometimes limitations can be your friend. So, you know, I only had the, the ability to afford single color printing on a CD disc at the time. And、uh, so I printed orange, just solid orange. And the, there's a lyric about an enormous tangerine. So the connection was oh, well, the CD disc represents an enormous tangerine. In the nude, and though I'd like to be loved, we've got to face the fact. Human being, and I'm down here at Cat. A lot of this stuff, I don't know if anyone else picks up on it or if it's just me, but hopefully there's a few. Well, that's the mark of a good designer because, like, I feel like those little in jokes, if you can make them work, even for yourself, like when designing something, I find that the most successful stuff happens when. You yourself have a reason for it. It doesn't matter if anybody else knows that reason, but like, I'm gonna put this window here, and it's because the people who live inside this building are, you know, it's you're coming up with these weird little reasons、yeah. to make sure that the design is or the illustration or whatever you're working on is functional in a、yeah. real space. And so, obviously, it's a little different in terms of graphic design or product design, but if you're trying to come up with an actual function. For that design, then it becomes a lot more successful. Yeah, I think it's important to me, you know, even I think in most of the poster work that I do, that it's not just decorative for the sake of being decorative, you know, that there is a reason for. The style of each individual poster that I believe that if you look at my work, you wouldn't necessarily, as with some artists, be able to say, Oh, that's a Matthew Jacobson, that's a Matthew Jacobson. If I repeat the same thing two, three times, I don't feel, at least for the sort of art that I'm interested in, that I'm really pushing it. I like to think of myself, in particular, with the poster design work and even with the album cover work, that. I'm sort of secondary or even tertiary to the artist and then to the album. You know, as a designer, my background is in design, not illustration, not fine art. You know, the work I do is in service to someone, something else. And so it's really important to me that whatever I do is relevant more so to the artist than to me. Something that reminds me of. From your work of that kind of resolve is hearing the story about the C. Jack White tour poster、yeah. <laughs> with the birdhouse and all that stuff, and you seeing the, that sign on a barn and stuff. <laughs> It shows in a lot of your work that there's a story behind these things, and I really do appreciate that. That was an interesting project because. I had been working along with Andy Gregg, who's an often collaborator of mine, on the Jack White Orlando poster for this last tour, which was essentially an electric light parade. The electric. You know,、um, <laughs> featuring Jack, various Jack White related floats. And we had been working on that and talking about it and sketching it and iterating for what felt like months. And then all of a sudden, I saw on a social post that Jack was going to be playing in what, a week and a half, two weeks in Chattanooga. 
And I think I saw that at maybe like 7 p.m. And immediately, first thing popped in my head was a barn, C. Jack White, just like those C. Rock City barns. <laughs> I found a photo. It's a stock photo. And went into Photoshop that night. My wife went to sleep. My son went to sleep. You know, I stayed up. I put type on it. I, I had no idea if he's going to go for it or not. You know, before I went to bed, I sent it off. And the next morning, I had approval on it. Pretty much as is. I wish I had downloaded the high-res image. You know, I had to then go back and buy the high-res image and basically redo all the work I did. And it wasn't all lining up the same. But it's amazing how sometimes... Things can happen so quick, and other times it's just laborious, and you never know. You know, it's when you're looking at art, when you're listening to music, you don't know how long it took for that person to write that song, to paint that painting. All that matters is what's in front of you and sort of how it makes you feel. But as the artist, it's interesting. Like to me, it's like crazy. How could someone like that C. Jack White poster more than that Orlando poster, which took so many more hours? You know, and both posters were fairly well received, but that C. Jack White poster, for as simple as it was, you know, I, I felt was very well received. Well, it's very, what's the word I'm looking for? I- Iconic? Iconic, yeah. But like, it's something that like, it, it hits my memory and I know exactly what it is and I can see it. What I love about the Orlando posters that you designed is I love that you snuck the raconteur's walking man in there. Oh yeah, right. Uh, yes, <laughs> because it's beautiful. Uh, it's it's just a nice little bit of continuity. We don't get that a lot from Jack stuff. The different bands and iterations that he's in are so uh, delineated. Yes, that, uh, a little crossover like that is really fun. Now I have to ask: you've done work for both the raconteurs and Jack White solo. Going into that, obviously. Were the rules explained to you or did you like kind of intuit the rules? Like how did that process go when they were, or, or, well, I mean, that's going to get into how you got involved with Jack to begin with, but I'm curious how that goes. Like, are they like, now, do you know the deal with the colors and stuff? Like, is there a, an understanding going into the project? Yeah, I, I think I've now worked with Jack's team and Third Man for, you know, a decade plus at this point. The colors are obvious. You know, when we first started doing the Jack White solo posters, there was a specific PMS color that we used on the posters. Uh, now, what was the, what was the code? You know, I don't re- recall <laughs> and I'm happy. I used to, I used yeah. to color code. Uh, I, so I, I would be curious yeah. actually what the blue is. I, I probably have it somewhere, but, uh, I would assume uh, C100 or it, B100. It could just, be, it could, yeah. could be, but now it's pretty much any blue, you know, for Jack, the posters are all black, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. There are some artists, uh, I believe DKNG has thrown some yellow, uh, if I'm recalling correct, in uh, maybe from the previous tour. There was some yellow in their posters. But I like the restrictions, you know. And for the raconteurs, what, it's black, copper, and, uh, and green with a bit of white. But it's all pretty obvious. You know, I think for this most recent Jack tour and for the last Tours tour, I was sent, you know, a file of 
imagery that would be used in the album artwork as sort of a jumping off point, just so I had a sense of, oh, and, and, and also lyrics, you know, so I had a sense of, you know, what these That's songs cool. were about topically, etc. Although yeah. most of my posters, and this isn't exclusive, but most of my posters are a mix of the artist and the place, the location or time they're playing. I don't generally focus on a specific lyric. There's only been a couple times I've done that. Yeah, it's something I appreciate about him is the incorporation of the aesthetic of the location. Uh, what was it, the Phoenix show with the... Oh, God, what's that artist's name? Oh, you're thinking George O'Keefe? George O'Keefe, okay, thank so, you. So that was, yes. that was in, um, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Santa Fe, New Mexico. You know, that, okay, that was an yes. interesting that you bring that up because... I come into the these posters with the idea first. You know, it's always idea driven. And then I figure out how to best execute that idea. And sometimes that involves collaborators like other artists, illustrators, photographers, etc. Sometimes I do it all on my on my own. But it also, and I think this George O'Keefe Santa Fe poster, hotly debated, I believe, in some of the fan forums. Um <laughs> was a really interesting collaboration because it was very different than anything else I had done. You know, I had to track down the rights holders of that image. And in very short time, because similar to the Chattanooga show, Chattanooga and Santa Fe were announced on the same day that only gave like two weeks from announcement to show. (laughs) And that's when I heard about it. And that doesn't even include printing time. You know, so I needed to, within the space of like three, four days, track down the rights holders, get permission, which I understand Georgia O'Keeffe does not, you know, or the the, uh, state does not generally grant easily. And once we got that, and in fact got approval, I also heard that they were very specific about not putting any text or anything on the image. And essentially, the poster that was printed is almost identical to the first sketch I did the first night of hearing of that show (laughs) and that I sent to Jack and Third Man and then sent to George O'Keefe thinking I would have to update it. But O'Keefe was like, no, this is perfect. I was like, oh, okay, well, I might have done the type a little bit differently, but they approved it. I'm not going to, you know, don't don't mess with this. (laughs) So uh, they gave approval. But then I had to get the actual high-res image. And that image is in the National Gallery of Art in D.C. So I now had to track down people. Exactly. Well, you know what I did? You know what I did? (laughs) I used LinkedIn. LinkedIn was how I tracked down. I found a second-degree connection who happened to be a director at the (laughs) George O'Keefe Foundation. And then I found two guys who worked, one in the art department and the other in some other department at the National Gallery of Art. And I tracked them both down and one of them in particular, and they both were very helpful, but one like got me the artwork and it was great. It's just a different type of collaboration. And it makes this each project aside from stylistically being unique, the process is unique. So if you were to ask me my process or how long something would take, it is always different. And that's what I love about it. It's like, I I like to think of myself as a very budget 
filmmaker, you know, like basically like jump in to make these like documentary films slash posters. And so the process, the subject matter, the collaborators are always different. And you look at it in an instant, not in an hour and a half. Let's talk process for a minute, if you don't mind. How do you balance the the traditional versus the digital world? Are you doing mostly digital sketches or are you kind of sketching these out and, and on paper? What are you, what are you so, doing here? Yeah. What, what are you doing here? I say. I grew up <laughs> and studied design prior to the personal computer being used as, mm-hmm. as such a tool. My first internship in college was for a, a pushpin group, the legendary Seymour Quast, who is an illustrator. Milk Glazer used to be part of the pushpin group, did the iconic Bob Dylan poster. Yeah. And I used to spend my time slicing with an exacto. So first I would work in the stat room where we would essentially enlarge and reduce type and, and images. And then I would go back to my desk and with an exacto blade cut out every single letter. And then Pushpin at the time was doing a lot of posters for mobile masterpiece theater. And there was one in particular called Sleepers. It was my first project. And I basically, all of the text on this poster for Sleepers was basically me, rubber cement, exacto blade, you know, stat paper and like just little by little piecing this thing together making sure that the kerning between yeah. each letter was right you never forget that smell do you no that rubber oh, cement smell no no <laughs> uh and, and you also never want to get a retractable exacto blade i i also had an internship oh, at new york magazine no. oh, that didn't no. last very balls. long yeah i had a, a retractable exacto blade and i pushed down on my thumb one day oh. on the blade <laughs> and, and part of it was stuck in my thumb for for at least three years. Ah. Oh, that's horrific. Yeah. Hand lettering. I never <laughs> took hand lettering in college. Mm. I should have. I didn't. Uh, and so what I would do is arrange the type in like Word and like print it out and then take the exacto and the rubber cement and then put them on the little balloons. And it was awful. I still, there's a sensory memory to that smell. Yeah. Rubber oh, yeah. Smell that smell. <laughs> I actually just threw out, I'm doing some some spring cleaning in the fall. I just threw out a um, rubber cement thinner canister because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I don't just don't use this stuff anymore. <laughs> and some spray, spray mount I don't, I don't really use anymore. Um, but anyways, I'm, I'm fairly old school in terms of how I go about this. And so I always start not designing in Photoshop or InDesign or Illustrator. I always start either on a scratch pad of paper or a little less old school on the notes of my iPhone. Because again, most of my posters start with the idea. When I'm sharing, for example, raconteur poster ideas, I basically will first... I'll put like a list of it. it could be this or it could be that or it could be this. And then I'll maybe put together a PDF or now a Google slide deck where I'll have whatever the title of this direction would be. And then however I can most simply represent it, you know, it, it, almost like a storyboard, you know, just like a single frame, yeah. but like however I can most simply represent it. And that goes back to... The first poster, so the first poster I designed for Jack 
was the triple decker poster when he played the Ryman in, in 2011 or 12. I was still at Nashville working at Third Man at the time. After that, I relocated back to Chicago, where I had been living before moving to Nashville. And I saw that Jack was going to be performing at the Chicago Theater, which was just about four blocks away from where my office was at the time. And so I had this idea that the poster for that show would be the Marina City Towers, which are these iconic buildings here in Chicago. Yeah. Superimposed into Jack's logo, which has, you know, sort of the waves, which also could represent the Chicago River. And I just put together a very quick description of it, sent it through as a PDF, got approval, and then had to actually make the thing. So I tend to, you know, for the, the Vegas, the first Vegas poster I did, again, I saw in Pitchfork, Jack was playing in Vegas. Sometimes they come quick. Some ideas take a long time. But this one, I was like, oh, a slot machine. It'll be a scratch off. I had no idea how I do that, you know, but I put together some, you know, oh, and, and no one ever gets this. But the text on that slot machine says Jack White, but it looks like, well, to me, it looks like one word, Jack White, with an exclamation yeah. point, because it's supposed to be like jackpot, but instead it's Jack White. <laughs> so I I'm work, just noticing that now just, for the first yeah, time. People, yeah. Can I just say that poster, it, it captures the essence of what Jack White is to me and Paul, which is insane. Artist first and foremost, and secondly, someone who wants to make you destroy your possessions out of love for the art yeah. like it's to incorporate yourself into the art itself like you're a player in the poster like when you get this poster you can choose to collect it or can keep it yeah. pristine but do you want to or do you want to play this slot machine which is also great for vegas like it's got that yeah. risk to it and it's really really good it's a really good poster and I have to say, I mean, you bring up Jack, and, and obviously that's the, the whole purpose we're here, but I do not believe that there is another artist around that would give designers like myself, the illustrators, etc., the opportunities that Jack does. And I know this. I have pitched similar ideas to some other artists, and they never go through. You know, Jack really, if he believes in the idea... He'll give you that green light, or in this case, that blue light, and then you just got to get it done. <laughs> so let me ask you, is it a – and I don't know how the process goes. We For a while there, I mean, we had talked to Rob Jones on the show before, so yeah. we kind of got an idea of how he interacts with Jack and how he got to know him. Is it – like what you're describing when he – oh, he's going to play this place, he's going to play that place. Is it like a 
not a free for all, but is it like a first come first serve? Like, ah, pitch the idea, and obviously you have a pre existing relationship, so that would obviously get your email read above somebody maybe unknown or something like that. Is that how it works, or or is he and his team reaching out to you? You, you know, for me, it's been different. At first, it was me being proactive, you know, having ideas and then pitching them tied to specific cities. Again, I was working at Third Man. He was playing the rhyme in, you know, I put together the uh, sketch. I have it somewhere, a sketch of the uh, triple-decker poster and got it approved and just started making it. Next was Chicago, got it approved and, and just started making it. I think Vegas maybe was after that. You know, very tied to the place. There were a few times, I believe, I reached out and learned, this was early on, you know, back in those early tours, and, and learned that someone else had already been uh, working on a poster for a particular city. These days, at least in this most recent Jack tour and the most recent Tours tour, Rob or Roe, Roe Peterhands, an amazing uh, third man, uh, have reached out and maybe said, you know, look, would you be interested in this specific city or what cities would you be oh, interested cool. in? Yeah. Uh, you know, but I still, even with that, like I as well being a designer, to me, like I say, it's all about the idea, but I never really get hung up on the idea. Like to me, it's about just having more and more ideas. So when I, you know, was asked to do the Detroit posters for this tour, I must have sent, you know, a dozen different options. And they ended up moving forward with this, um, what I think I called the time capsule posters. Now, the interesting thing is, normally, you have an idea. And if it doesn't go through, you think, oh, maybe I'll pitch that again for something else another time. And you never do because you move on to the next thing. That time capsule poster idea is something that I probably pitched for the past three or four tours in a different version, and it never went through. This tour, I tweaked the idea a little bit, and it went through. And it was just like, I don't know how. You know, it's, it's sometimes <laughs> just like that little tweak makes yeah. a big difference. talk about the process being different all the time man that that was yeah. a fun process and 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 i collaborated with my wife on that too who while i was making the printed poster she was essentially documenting and editing together a video each day 
of the process and of the events of the day and, and also helping That's me cool. collect that information and write uh, the poster. Firstly, I want to just say, you've mentioned the Triple Decker poster a few times. For people who are not familiar, that is a poster where there are three separate posters when they come together, forms a, a greater image. All of the separate posters are an image in and of themselves, which is something you do is you take these ordinary posters and you do things to them that are that push the envelope and make them incredible and i really appreciate what you're doing with design it's beautiful it really is and uh, i wanted to talk to you about some of these jack white solo tour posters including that one you mentioned because that happened to be you know an important day not only for jack white but for jack white fans who got to be there for it and if, like was there any uh, don't answer if you don't want. Is there any inkling that that was going to happen? <laughs> no, I, I, I can I can I can tell you what I know about that. That's funny. Not not at all. Even after it happened, I didn't know. So <laughs> we're, we're talking about we're talk, just for everybody at home. We're talking about the April eighth, twenty twenty two posters. The, the, text yeah the, there's yes. the two posters where they catalog the days yes. and the detroit right. posters in which on the first day jack white proposes and, and marries olivia jean on stage just so yes we're all yeah and and so that poster is essentially a time capsule of all the important events both globally regionally and personally that sort of happened on that day. So globally, there's like news items of what was happening, for example, in Ukraine. Regionally, it might be the price of gas, uh, you know, nearby where Jack was playing, you know, where I bought my coffee that morning, <laughs> you know, where a where sort of like sewage was splurting out from the ground, not far <laughs> from the third man there in Detroit. So one of the things that sold Jack on this poster was that we would be able to get the score of opening day at Tiger Stadium on the poster. So another key collaborator in this, and this goes for the Triple Decker poster, this goes for this Vegas scratch-off, this goes to the Vegas playing card posters, this goes for the Vegas um, magic poster that we just did, uh, are the printers. I mean, I couldn't do this without a printer. Different printers. However, there is one in particular, Kyle Baker from Baker Prints, uh, not too far from me here in Chicago, who is just a genius at doing this stuff. I mean, he will do anything and everything he can to make stuff work. When I had previously pitched the idea of these same-day posters, I had assumed it would be for a Chicago show and that I would work with Kyle because I know he'd be able to figure out a way to do it. When I ended up selling it through for Detroit years later in a slightly different format, I didn't know any printers there. And, <laughs> you know, I checked with people who couldn't do it. I found like a mobile printer in Austin, Texas, and another one in DC. And we talked about them driving down, but it was just like astronomical costs. And like they generally just did like t shirts and like, you know, weddings and bar mitzvahs. So like it just wasn't working. And originally, I was like, we're going to have to print them in the venue, you know? And somehow I found a guy, and I'm sorry, I'm forgetting his name right now, who basically had a screen press at his home. And he was like, whatever it takes, I'll do it. Let's do it. Let's, like, make this happen. At some point, he connected me 
with some printers in Hamtramck, Michigan, which is just about 10, 15 minutes from the Masonic, which is where Jack was playing those two nights, called Dunwell Dry Goods. They do a lot of T-shirts and a little bit of posters. Dunwell Dry Goods, this poster project would not have happened without them. The guy ended up buying off Craigslist like a brand new <laughs> silkscreen press to replace his hand press. He, he, he sort of like rigged this conveyor contraption with like box fans that were duct taped to create this sort of like drying tunnel to speed up the process. And he That's got awesome. it down so quick. And he was like, as long as I have the poster by, you know, I don't know, 5 p.m., we'll be able to get them all to the venue by 8, whatever it was. And then also, I was then going to be at the venue signing the posters and adding on for people who wanted, like, a line, like, you know, Joe Williams bought this poster at 8.23 p.m., <laughs> you know, to sort of complete the poster for these people, which I ended up doing just a little bit later in the day. Because it was really important to get that Tiger score. I mean, that's how I sold it. And I don't know if either of you watched the game that day, but they weren't doing well. <laughs> they were losing. And by the time the deadline came for me to submit that poster artwork, they were losing. It was looking really bad. I was like, I just need to hold out. I just need to get like, hopefully the Tigers will have some great play. And like, I can mention the play and not the score. And then something <laughs> happened and they won that game. It was the war stick bat. Yeah, exactly. But I had always intended, so because I sold this poster through, I believe because of the ability to have the Tiger score and I knew Jack was going to be at the game, I thought that would be the opening line. You know, April 8th was, you know, a, a, what was it, a Friday and or a Saturday. What day of the week was it? It was a Friday. April 8th was a Friday mm -hmm. and the Tigers, you know, beat the Cubs 21 to 7, whatever it was. I was going to start the poster with that. But I got a text that said Olivia Jean or Olivia woke up with what's the trick stuck in her head. What's the trick? And it went on to say and drank you know, three cups of coffee or something like that. But I needed it a little shorter. So I started the poster off. Instead, of, I was like, I can't do something and then have Olivia woke up. Are you I sure that wasn't a Russian hacker? Yeah, right. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, you have to start with Olivia. You have to start with someone waking up. It's a perfect yeah, interest in the poster. I'm using appropriate confession for my inappropriate confessions for someone I guess who might need it for. I don't even know what I'm doing it for. So the poster started at the last minute with Olivia woke up with what's the trick in her head. And in the end, that kind of makes it. It, it does. Really, so, yeah. so here's the thing. So I had to then, in the middle of the show, I had to go home <laughs> because, you know, I signed the posters. You saw that. Then I had to go home because I had to be up like super early the next morning. I was like, I'll stay after the show the next night. Not the first night because I've got work to do. You know, I've got to make another one of these. And it wasn't particularly easy. It was very stressful. You see, I have gray hair. I had a lot less before that project. <laughs> but it works so good. Yeah. So I, I go home and... I was looking, you know, seeing what some comments were and people posting about the show and the poster. And and someone said, oh, that poster, that was a great poster, but they missed the most important event of the day. 
I was like, what do they mean I missed the most important event of the day? I really tried to get all the important bits there. You know, I wanted, I always wanted to have like Jack White stepped out onto the stage at, you know, <laughs> 8.23 p.m. Like I was hoping to get that far. I didn't. I was like, what's the most important thing? And then I saw he got married. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> this is like this poster is nothing because the poster is supposed to document everything important that happened this day. And yet... It's not on there. And I was really, you know, I was like, I don't know. Like, this this sucks. <laughs> I was thrilled for Jack and Olivia. Don't get me wrong. But I was like, for the poster, I'm like, I can't believe it. And I mentioned it to my wife. And she's like, no, this is great. And pretty much right away, she's like, you just need to start tomorrow's poster with Jack and Olivia woke up married. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that totally fills in. That, like, it creates this, in a sense, third poster or third moment that lives between these two posters where something happened. And it only works, I believe, because the first poster started with Olivia, and then the second poster starts with Jack and Olivia. What you and your wife have done is created a literary (laughs) masterpiece between two gig posters. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's pretty funny, you know. And I think I mentioned you in an email. Uh, Someone else, I saw someone wrote... You see, I read these forums sometimes, and someone wrote, it's funny, I think I'll respond. I said, no, it's not worth responding. But someone wrote, uh, this is, you know, see, they're just copying that White Stripes record, you know, live at the Gold Dollar, where it said what happened on that day. And I'm like, yeah, it was me. <laughs> like, yes, I'm copying that. That was my idea. The back of that was like, it was, you know, we were re-releasing the White Stripes' very first shows. There's a 7-inch with their open mic performance and a 12-inch with their first live show at the Gold Dollar, full performance. And the back essentially does the same thing. It talks about, says, you know, whatever this day was, was a Tuesday, this happened, that happened. Yeah. Interestingly, I put on one of those that uh, Jason Bloom got a B minus or something <laughs> in, let's say, biology. And I remember thinking, oh, Jason's going to kill me because he would never get a B minus in biology. Jason's my cousin. Um, and he would have been he would have been in University of Michigan at the time. So now I was like, I need to reprise Jason Bloom in the poster. So I wrote to Jason, who's now a plastic surgeon on the main line in Philadelphia. And I wrote to Jason, I said, hey, like, do you have anything like going on? And he sent me. I Can told I him, answer? Like, Can I answer? Yeah. Dr. Jason Bloom performed his 1,000th face and neck lift. Yeah. <laughs> and I mentioned my wife put videos together of each day. He sent some pretty gruesome videos <laughs> to prove... <laughs> To prove, if you freeze frame on, on that video, you might see Nothing. something disturbing. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is what you look at each day? But he does great work, if, if that's your thing. What he doesn't mention here was on uh, President Joe Biden. So uh, <laughs> the, the beautiful thing about it, so when I first saw this poster, I thought it was the most relatable poster I'd ever seen. Not just because it felt as though it was from Jack's perspective, although we're learning now it was primarily from yours and from around the world and things. But the day I proposed to my wife, I did something similar. I nice. kind of wrote down different things, not what was happening in Russia or whatever, Ukraine. Uh, but I was writing down the little minutia yeah. because it's the stuff you forget yeah. right before something momentous happens. And it's a nice little snapshot. So when I saw that, I initially had a very strong emotional reaction to it because I've done that in yeah. the past with big moments of mine. And I remember thinking, wow, that's so beautiful that he has this. What a wonderful idea. Who thinks?
thinks of that for a concert. That's a really, that's a really beautiful, touching, personal idea, which is kind of like what the whole appeal behind his live shows are, right? Yes. It's, uh, it's a personal, intimate experience, which is intentionally non-duplicated. It is uh, spontaneous by design. That's interesting. I, I never thought about the connection between the way that he approaches live shows and the way that I approach posters, you know, that they are spontaneous, they're of that moment, they're not planned in certain ways. But I will say the second day in particular, and Jack and many other people participated in essentially what ended up written on those posters, uh, the second day in particular, both Jack and Olivia sent many updates, uh, <laughs> you know, including Jack, uh, you know, going to the, the shop and making a purchase, which was great because I did discover that on Saturdays, Saturdays are a very slow news day. I was looking for great big news items, but it's just they just talk about what happened in the week before, what's going to be happening in the week coming up. There's very little new news, you know, that, that happens on a Saturday. You know how I know that is because every Monday on my news scroll, it says uh, what you missed this weekend. And I'm like, yeah, no, I did. Yep. <laughs> it's like Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, James hasn't been watching his Chuck Todd like a good boy. No, I don't. Uh, anyway, uh, masterful, those two posters. Another one that is a personal favorite of mine, as you, you mentioned it earlier, was the Magician Vegas poster, which is just perfect. It's Thank so you. good. It's got the flash reactive ink. Was that a, a technique that you already had up your sleeve? I mean, you mentioned that you were a magician previous to this. Was was this something you had already? Uh, or was this researched specifically for the poster? No. So I had been a magician when I was a kid. Interestingly, I had opened up for Tiny Tim at the Masonic Temple. Did you really? Um, in, yeah, in the theater, which is now named after Jack. This happens to be, and this is true, the anniversary of his death on stage after he died singing Tiptoe Through the Tulips of a Heart Attack. Oh, seriously? He died in... Which is interesting that he died in 96 because um, Harry Blackstone Jr., um, who uh, was an idol of mine as well as a mentor of mine as a magician, also passed away, unfortunately, in 96. And oh. he is the reason for this Vegas poster. Uh, when Jack was on tour with the Dead Weather, he used to wear a Blackstone t-shirt. And I always thought that was cool because, number one, I, I loved the design of that t-shirt and also Harry had been a mentor to me. So I always thought it'd be cool to do something at one point. You know, you mentioned I had worked on some vaults. I think at one time or another, I probably suggested, oh, let's like replicate that Blackstone t-shirt, but say Jack White. You know, the first Vegas poster I did for Jack, and I've only done Vegas posters for Jack, you know, but the first <laughs> Vegas poster I did for Jack was a slot machine. So that was all about gambling. The second Vegas poster I did was a full deck of playing cards, double-sided, mm -hmm. And that essentially represents both gambling and magic. And so it made sense that this third poster would lean into magic. And I knew I wanted the poster to also be used to perform a trick. And again, I talk about collaborators. I had several collaborators on this. Tyler Pate, who illustrated the main poster image. Sarah Sumeray, who illustrated the sort of step-by-step -step instructions on the back. And interestingly, Sarah, I discovered through 
some of her, I believe, fan art, maybe some having to do with Jack, definitely some other things as well. I had commissioned her to do a portrait of my family that I gave my wife last Christmas, uh, as though we were all in an Archie comic. Um, (laughs) But what I had learned about Sarah was that she was a magician. She's based in London, and she had been a member of the Magic Castle. And it's rare to find female magicians. Unfortunately, there's not enough of them. And so I thought this combination of Sarah's interest in Jack White, her illustration style, and having been a magician made her a great match for that. But the third collaborator on that Vegas poster was a guy named Adam Rubin, who is the author of many children's books, including Dragons Love Tacos, which is a great book. Any of you with kids should get it. A favorite of mine. Yes, yeah, very good. Yeah, it's great, right? So Adam is also a magician. And I first met Adam when he was giving a talk at what's called the Chicago Magic Lounge here in town. And I'm part of the Chicago Magic Roundtable, and we have lectures in the back of the uh, Chicago Magic Lounge. And Adam was talking about his book and talking about magic and how he has varied interests. And he said something, and he was, I think he was quoting someone else as well, but it was true to himself. And he said, you know, if so, I do all these different things, but if someone was to hold a gun to my head and say, tell me what you are, he's like, hopefully no one would actually do that, but he would respond and say, I'm a magician. And I feel that way too, whether I'm doing design, regardless of what I'm doing, I'm a magician, you know? And he talks about Adam, that with each turn of the page of like Dragons Love Tacos, he thinks of it like, you know, a reveal or a build yeah, or, you know, like you know, something unexpected happens. And I try to do that with the posters too. And so what better collaborator on co- helping, you know, work with me to come up with what this poster will do as a trick than Adam. And so together, I believe we came up with the idea that it would be a prediction and that we'd, you know, find find this flash reactive ink. And of course, Kyle Baker from Baker Prince here in Chicago, I told him what we needed. And he's like, you know, (laughs) it's done. And I mean, that guy, he barked up so many trees and could not get that flash reactive ink. He ended up, I think, getting in his car and driving like two or three hours up to Wisconsin and like getting some small canister from somewhere. And, you know, it's, it's crazy the lengths <laughs> that he will go uh, to do the great work that, that, that he's done. I have to imagine that had to have been a danger at some point to like printing that as well, because like if probably flammable or something along those lines. Like well, maybe that's why you couldn't get a hang. Hand of it. Maybe, you know, I don't know if that's flammable. I hope not. Um, <laughs> but as I'm looking around, I've got a few of those stacked up here. Um, I don't think it's like flash paper, which is, which is okay. da- dangerous. Yeah. I mean, the other part of that poster, I don't know if you guys are aware of, but I actually ended up opening the show that night performing magic in Vegas that involved the poster. It wasn't the trick on the poster, but the opening band played, who was... um, Chicano Batman. Oh, beautiful band. I love that band. Yeah, yeah, right. They also opened the night of the slot machine poster. And so they opened and then they set up the stage for Jack. And then the uh, DJ said, okay, everyone, now we have from Detroit. And everyone went crazy. And they're like, Matthew Jacobson. And I think I saw a few disappointed faces. You know, although neither Jack nor I are, are currently from Detroit. Both of us were originally. What's up, Las Vegas? How we feeling? Ladies and gentlemen, come on! We're gonna have to, every one of them back. Let's get it up! 
I think that DJ's name is Chris. Every show we saw, he was on top of his like game of like making you think you were going to get the show. He he really kind of put it out there and then pulled it back. Every he time. was great. He, I had asked him. I said, "Don't tell them I'm a magician," because it was actually more interesting for the magic to be a surprise when it happened. And so he said, oh, yeah, no, don't worry. I'll just say, you know, you're not, I'll, I won't say you're not a magician. Here's someone who's not a magician. No, he said, I'll just introduce you and then you do what you want. But every song he played before I went on was like Abracadabra, every little thing she does is magic, <laughs> three is the magic number, you know. So, you know, I mean, I think, again, you'd have to be pretty, pretty clued in to think, oh, maybe a magician's coming up. That, it was pretty unexpected. But the crowd, the audience, Jack's audience is great. And, you know, that's really like who I make these posters for. I feel like I have two clients. I've got Jack and I've got the audience. Sometimes when I see that, you know, fans might not be into a poster because I put everything into these things, you know, I think there were mixed reactions to the Cards Against Humanity poster I did here in Chicago. Some people loved it. Some people hated it. It was probably a bit of an unusual one, but it was a great partnership with Cards Against Humanity. I actually got to be like yeah. on a call with the eight founders of Cards Against Humanity writing like Jack White jokes like in their master yeah. Google Doc and like using their printer to print the cards. <laughs> what you just said reminds me of something you said before when you're talking about kind of feeling your way through these interactions and finding people. And we're talking about personal relation to like what you're doing. It's kind of what we do with the show, actually. Like what you're describing yeah. is kind of what what I've learned to do through this program and actually has translated into my day job where you learn to just kind of find people and make these interesting connections and do what you can and, and make sure you have an interesting idea to back up the interaction. Otherwise, <laughs> it's a hollow yeah. thing. But there's something really fun about the pursuit of that. And that was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. And this may be getting into the weeds a little bit, but... I am not a very good designer, but when I try to do it, what I find is I'm following a path. I start with an idea. Oh, I think roughly it would be, it'll be this. And then I tinker with it a little bit and it takes me in this other direction. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, well, actually that's maybe just the whole direction it needs to go. I'll get rid of all this other stuff. Stuff like that. Is that you talk about first thought, best thought, some of these ideas just come to you. But with some of the ideas that take a little longer, do you find yourself sort of going along a path? At what point do you feel, okay, I can present this? You know, it varies. I, I actually don't generally think first idea, best idea. Like, I'm definitely someone who iterates. I'm definitely someone who, like, comes up with idea after idea. When I, th when I, when I think about this, the I designed the Spoon album, They Want My Soul. Gosh, I don't know almost 10 years ago now, maybe seven, eight years ago. 
And we must have had 200 different versions of that cover. <laughs> Some of it had to do with changing album titles, but different photos, different type styles. In the end, we didn't put any type on the cover, and I did type after type after type. But nowadays, you don't need type on the cover because you're seeing this... You know, it used to be like magazines with mastheads need to be up on the top. So if you're flipping through the racks, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whether of magazines or CDs or vinyl, you need it right up yeah. there. Nowadays, it's too much when you include text on, on albums sometimes. But I think most of the time, it's a pretty easy process. The process changes. One constant in my process is procrastination. Um, <laughs> I like to think. Oh, so you're you're every yeah August right. Every, I, I, I like to think <laughs> because sometimes I'll procrastinate and it'll be like the last minute, and then like while I'm working on it, I'll come up with some like thing that I'm like. I'm, it's great that I waited, because if I hadn't waited, I wouldn't have come up with this little bit. Um, but, uh, but usually, I like to do things, like when I see that Jack or the raconteurs are on tour and I get a list of dates, I like to try to work pretty far ahead. Um, but it's always different. It's always different. There's no, if, any, if I've learned anything, if there's a constant, what do they say? The only constant is change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ask yourself if you are happy, and then you cease to be. That's a tip from you to me. And this work for sure. I don't ask myself for nothing anymore. My peace is freedom from the masses, but the masses cannot. This is to go back to the previous conversation of Vegas posters. I need to know, would you perhaps be interested in my now new pitch that I just came up with for the next Vegas poster? Sure, please. I'm about to pitch you. Yeah. All right, here we go. Here we go. A magician sawing someone in half, and what you have to do is take a blade and cut the poster in half, and you get a, something inside the poster. Oh, that's cool. Eh? Eh? Oh. Eh? Oh, that's fun. Eh? You have to destroy that's the poster fun. is all I'm saying. You have to destroy that's the cool. poster. That's cool. That's similar to... The triple decker record, right? Where you, oh, you, you know, gosh, darn it. no, that's great. You can do, you know, Jack. Jack had come up with that triple decker record, and then I did sort of I iterated on it for the public nuisance release. We did a it was called the White Wall triple decker, and I don't know if you're familiar with that release or not. Um, I'm not. No. Oh, you're not. I've got. Uh, well, in, in, in a little bit, I can get it get it for you, but it's basically. The Public Nuisance was a reissue of an older record, and there was a photo of the band around this car with, like, what do they call them? Like, um, what did I say? White... Well, the white wall? White wall, yes, thank you. With white wall tires. And so the way the Triple Decker record looks with that sort of vinyl band and the clear... I was like, that could almost look, if it's black and then it's got that white in the center, it would look like a white wall tire. And then I went out and I photographed the hubcap of the Rolling Record Store, which was relatively new back then, and made that the center label on the outer record. But when you broke into it, it looked like, you know, a, the hubcap had been, like, stolen off the wheel on the 7-inch record, <laughs> oh, which which, so which cool. is, yeah. Oh, that's pretty great. So anyway, I, I bring this up because it's like, just because something has been done 
you know, doesn't yeah. mean you can't iterate on it. <laughs> I'm just so into the idea of, and it's both a third man thing, a Jack White thing, and a third man designer thing is just destroying the things you yeah. find most precious in order to find something dear and magic inside. Yeah. Yeah. It's so nice sometimes to be a collector and to have that thrown in my face of like, why are you doing this? Why are you holding this so precious? Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I want, I'm going to play my vaults. I'm going to, who yeah. who cares? This is for enjoyment. Why should I hold this object more precious than what it'll bring to me through its, the actual artistry of it all? Yeah. And so I really, really do appreciate what you're doing and what Jack's doing and what third man's doing. And it's all just fantastic. Yeah. One of the things that I really love, you know, again, Jack, Having the, you know, I don't know if it's the, the, the bravery or the appreciation to like approve things that others wouldn't necessarily is the Karen Elson record for the vault mm-hmm. that I designed this live record where her dress is a die cut, you know, and so Karen being a model, you as the listener have the ability to change her dress to, to you know, to change her wardrobe, you become the designer. And so the inner sleeve could be folded in various ways. So her dress could be changed. But there was one panel that you could draw on and you know we got so many submissions and so many interesting submissions from jack's fans Uh, there was at one point it was thirdmanrecords.com slash couture i noticed it's it's no longer it's a broken link now Um, but you used to be able to see many of those uh, (laughs) that people had had designed and i still have scans of those that i did somewhere Hanging on a string, honey. Got me hanging for dear life. Mama told me not to be so bold, and now I'm paying a heavy price. I fell headfirst into the fire. What a foolish thing to do. Gambled every bit of sense I had, and now I've all to you. All to you. Really beautiful stuff. Some people did dried flowers. Uh, and, and I would just say Jack's fans and the whole community around and including your podcast are so great. There's, I, I believe you're all familiar with, what is it called? The Third Man... Um, the Creative Collective? Yes, the Third yep. Man Creative Collective, run by two women who really do a fantastic job of highlighting the fan art and engaging with yeah. the fans with various contests, etc. Can I tell you, real, uh, this is a real story. This is a sidebar. So I went to go look up that website, Jack White Couture, and my Google window for when did Tiny Tim die popped up. And it's true, it's 1996. And it's a horrifying image of him up here. Oh, <laughs> no. I, just want, I just want to let you know it's macabre. Oh, uh, that is part of uh, part of the why we do the show is to connect with other fans because we felt very isolated. I think we've described it on the show before. At least I felt this way. He seemed Jack in his various band iterations seemed like this kind of apparition that would appear on a stage every year and float out. And I didn't really know anything about him. But I knew that I loved the music and I sort of slowly got to know other people in the community. And that's a great 
part of the fan community around Jack White's stuff. Is, uh, he really does foster that with that participation we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That you have to participate in it, whether it's the Triple Decker record or changing the Karen Nelson design, which, by the way, I haven't heard about, but I'd really like to get my hands on that. It's uh, really cool. And something, another sidebar, I used to collect these Beck albums where it was a blank cover, more or less, where he included a set of stickers. Uh, And you would decorate the album with the stickers. And so I went to the, me and Paul's, when we were kids, our local record store was the Princeton Record Exchange. And uh, they just had tons of Beck CDs. (laughs) Because like, I mean, they were common CDs, but people had decorated them in their own way. So for a while, I was buying them just to get the covers and look at (laughs) them uh, because I thought they were so cool because people were were putting the stickers and doing Oh, how other people had done it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I thought it was a really interesting concept. Something I actually hadn't thought of before, but does get back to me being a magician or having been a magician, is it was always about the interaction with the audience. You know, unlike theater, you're as a magician, you have volunteers, etc., and, uh, you know, audience participation. And I try to do that with the design work, whether for record albums, when it makes sense, or for the posters, you know, when it makes sense. And which isn't all the time, but as often as possible, I like to engage people in, in yeah. if not the process, in, in elements of it. Let me see, you just sent <laughs> that, an image that's, here. Uh, sorry, I interrupted, your, I interrupted your beautiful story with this horrific image of Tiny Tim. Um, oh, that, yeah. I, <laughs> Look at his teeth, though. He's got all his teeth. I mean, what a great musician <laughs> anyway i used to work in licensed comics and and we used to describe it as building a clubhouse for people yeah between um releases right so for if it was sonic or Mega Man, between video game releases or whatever it was it was we were building a clubhouse for everybody to hang out mm-hmm. and that is such an important part of uh, fandom actually keeps fandom kind of healthy to yeah. be honest, because if you're keeping it to yourself, that's how you get all these wacky insults and things like that who think they own the music or the art or whatever that is. And they, I guess in a sense they do, but they, they take it to this, what's mine, you know, sort of other mm. level. And I think if you're being healthy about your fandom, you're sharing it with people, which is part of Third Man's whole mission statement to begin with. You know, I was listening uh, the other day, I was listening to the uh, vault that they put out, uh, the Primus vault. And I, I'm not really a big Primus fan. Like, I like South Park, but I, I don't Primus. And I was like, hey, this is damn good. <laughs> I'd never really given Primus a listen. And yeah. yet, they sent me this beautiful Primus thing in the mail. Pop it on. Oh, cool. And now I can share that with other people. So, that's yeah, that's part of the beauty of what they do and what you do. No, I mean, it's definitely one of the great things about Third Man is they're allowing people to discover or helping people discover so much. Right now, with Spotify, YouTube, etc., you can presumably find anything you're interested in, but you have to figure out, like, what are the right search terms to find it? Mm-hmm. Whereas Third Man still, you know, I believe are one of the few labels, book publishers, you know, novelty makers, etc., that, like, have a really distinct point of view, know what they're passionate about and what others are passionate about, and they expand people's interests and knowledge in these areas. Now, what Spotify has is an algorithm, an AI algorithm. What Third Man has is Ben Blackwell doing a manual (laughs) algorithm. He's like, I know you. I know you like this, so I'm going to give you this. And Ben Blackwell is being very, he's accosting you, but he's doing it with good intentions, and we love him for it. And speaking of which, you designed a bunch of Blue Room series singles and stuff, so you helped 
put that foot forward, at least in a design perspective, for that kind of musical introduction, because you helped design albums from the Blue series, like the Dwayne album and the Beck album and all of those singles, which are ways people are introduced to a lot of those musicians. Me and Paul were introduced to a bunch through the Blue Series. Yeah. Not only that, you helped with the Blue Series vault, where all of them were included on one <laughs> on one album. That was the, the third anniversary giveaway. Oh, right, which right, Which was right. cool. But actually, you bring up Blackwell, and my connection with Third Man actually starts with Blackwell. And ends with Blackwell if he has his yeah, way. Yeah, it starts with, well, in fact, I, I, was, I was just in Nashville a few weeks ago and, you know, and, and, and stopped by to see him. I had taken out an ad, you know, I mentioned I had run a record label for many years. And in, I believe, 1997, I had taken out an ad for the label in Puncture, which was a magazine for sort of indie rock, indie music. And I ended up getting a letter from someone in from Troy, Michigan, saying, hey, you know, I'd been an intern for Sub Pop remotely. I'd love to work for a local label. You know, could you use any help? And I ended up meeting up with her. And I didn't really have, you know, I was a one-man operation. There wasn't really too much. But there was, you know, there were, there were a few things. She helped me with some mailings, I believe. But this was a woman named Melissa Glush. And her boyfriend at the time, who was still in high school, was Blackwell. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> and Melissa and Ben, much later, in fact, when I was living in Nashville, I have been married and have, you know, wonderful kids now and, uh, and a whole life. You know, so I've known Blackwell since he was in high school. At some point, he started Cass Records. Mm-hmm. And I don't recall if I reached out to him or he reached out to me, but I designed some seven inches. Um, just, you know, I didn't charge him. Just, you know, it was an enjoyable thing. I loved working in music. And I designed a site that was Bank of the Sites um, from Detroit. I designed their seven inch. into a record store called Stormy Records in Dearborn, Michigan, and basically replaced all of the records in the front of the racks <laughs> with sites, singles and CDs, oh, and great. put sites posters everywhere, and then took photos of, you know, that store for the sites. And then I did the Trachtenberg Family Slideshow Players record. My next guests are a uh, unique family act who purchased vintage slides from random estate sales and thrift shops and make up songs about the people in them. That's right. They're performing on January 4th at New York's Sidewalk Cafe and every Tuesday in January at Galapagos in Brooklyn. You can also pick up their self-titled CD, Trachtenberg Family Slideshow Players, Volume 1. Please welcome the Trachtenberg Family Slideshow Players.
Hello. Tonight's song is called Look at Me. It's based on the lives of two retired military nurses from Seattle who are named Jean and Cappy. The song tells their story as they grow old together throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s and do Seattle kind of things such as go to the Festival of Gas. It goes something like this. One, two, three, one. Look at me. Here we are in the parking lot. My friends talk and they smoke a lot. Look at me, look at me, look at me. But I believe, and I don't know, no one's ever said this to me, but I believe it was those two singles that I did for Cass that really opened the door for me at Third Man. Because one random day, my wife got a text from Melissa that said, hey, would you guys be interested in moving to Nashville? We had never been to Nashville before, you know? And, uh, and, th- and that was really how, how it started. That's amazing. So you did? <laughs> yeah, so we, so we did. We moved, you know, so what had happened, and, and Jack, Ben, Melissa, none of them would have known this, but I had actually left my job at the time and was considering moving to Shanghai to sort of be the creative lead on Ford advertising in Asia. That sounds very lucrative, my friend. Yeah, and we had, yeah. yeah <laughs> I think I, you made a poor decision. <laughs> yeah, you, no, definitely, definitely not. Um, definitely not. No way. Um, I, I don't actually, honestly, I don't regret it for a minute. In fact, we had decided to not to move to Shanghai, but at sort of the days that we had planned, and, I, and admittedly, I was a little depressed about it at the time. I was like, you know, what am I going to do? I had left my job. I had this great offer, but moving to China at that particular point in time when we had a newborn didn't make sense. Ah. Yeah, yeah that, you know, were, far away from family, sure. you know, air quality at the time. Et what year are we talking here? Uh, that would have been 2011. That's oh, the year me and Paul were in Shanghai. We, That's we kind went of to Shanghai yeah. in 2011. Oh, you did? Actually, I yeah. might have seen you there. So it might have been actually... <laughs> we were in the Pudong was probably two th- yeah. yeah. It, it was probably 2010. Oh, that's crazy. So what did, would I have enjoyed it? I mean, it was everybody smoked. Yeah. Oh, was yeah. Nice. Right? <laughs> it was, my son would have been smoking it starting at a very early age. We so. had a lot of KFC and we had yeah. chicken wings at McDonald's before that was a thing. Like, there's Crazy. fun. <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, so our first interview on the show was a fellow named Bruce Brand, a very lovely man who used to do artwork for Jack as cool. well. Yeah. And he was given a similar offer and, and declined. Oh, interesting. This is, I think, prior to what you're describing. We're talking like 2000. Seven earlier yeah. on in the yeah, whole process, if I recall, mm-hmm. what what led to Rob Jones being right, but correct. but it's just yeah. interesting. Sometimes success is simply determining the right time to say yes. I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we having decided not to go to China, this we had had a week essentially where we were meant to be in China, looking for a place to live, and we decided not to do that. And again, my wife got this text from Melissa. We're like, sure. And so we we drove down to Nashville <laughs> for the very first time, and I have to say, and and I I regret saying this now because I we absolutely love Nashville and go back at least once a year since since we left at least once a year. But at the time I was like, gosh, I don't know about Nashville. Like, I don't know if I want to live in Nashville, but the office itself, the physical space, but more importantly, the people, I was just like, this is like a utopia. Like, how can I say no to this? Like, so Nashville doesn't seem that appealing, but this like job and these people and this place seems so great. But in the end, we equally fell in love with Nashville. 
Yeah, oh, that's, that's beautiful. That sort of thing at a job is a golden goose. If you can get that, you know, that's a job worth staying at. It's hard to come by, and especially in the arts fields. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't. I and I didn't stay there. Um, and a big part of that was location. You know, we had. It was a year, um, and I know we had to make a decision. You know, with our family, do we stay in? You know, extend our lease for another year, and we were subletting or, or renting rather our apartment here in Chicago. And having some issues with the tenants, you know, didn't seem to even know how to flick a fuse <laughs> back on. I mean, just like every day, you know, yeah. Julian Baker, um, who, who's collaborated me, with me on many posters, um, he and I used to share an office, which is now part of the storefront in Nashville. But he, you know, I'm sure he could tell equally as many stories of the calls I would get, you know, <laughs> with like, you know, I was like, have you tried that fuse box again? You know? <laughs> it's in the closet. It hasn't moved. <laughs> Our father, who who sold their house, had a very similar instance. After they sold it, they were getting calls five years later from the oh. owners, going, "How do you do this thing?" <laughs> it's like, you don't need. Yeah, to all right. It's it's crazy. So we ended up, you know, and and being closer to family again was the biggest thing. Nashville was a little far out of the way for my family in Detroit, and my wife's in Toronto, and so we moved back. And you know, luckily, I feel you know I've been privileged, honored, and and like, honestly, can't believe my luck that I've been able to continue to collaborate and work on projects with Third Man and, and for Jack and, and everyone. And they're all, and Rob too, you mentioned Rob Jones. I mean, Rob is great. Like, I can't tell you the amount of support that he's given me over the years, the amount of feedback, yeah. the Vegas poster. I believe it was Rob who said, why don't you make a coin to go with that scratch off poster? I, it probably was. Uh, I mean, he's just, he's, he's fantastic. Really I, great. It is amazing to me how sweet of a man you are and Rob is. And we talked about Bruce Brent. You're all such very nice people. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why they like working with you. <laughs> but That's we feel, funny. but we feel honored and and uh, and privileged that you joined us on the on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank this you. Is, this is a blast. I feel like I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's so nice to talk to you. My dog is currently scratching at the floor. I'm in my basement, and that so that's going to be coming through the audio. Sorry. Paul, yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was so nice to talk to you, and what a wonderful way to leave the show with, on that note. And thank you so much for joining us, Matthew. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I, I appreciate it, too. You know, like I said, most of the work I do in music is about connecting the fans with the artists, and I rarely have this opportunity to come out from behind the work, and I really appreciate your interest in asking mm -hmm. me to do it. You know, I mentioned I've been listening to your show and am equally a fan of what you guys do, so thank you. I'll be Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, and we didn't even get to some of the questions I had prepared. So uh, maybe maybe after another slew of posters, we'll, we'll have you back on. We'll talk about some more stuff. But until then, uh, we usually close the show out by saying where we want to find a home, which harkens back to Jack White's bull weevil closer of every show. So we, we like to say where we'll find a home. Do you want to participate in this? Sure. Why not? All right. Uh, Paul, where will you be looking for a home? I'll be looking for a home in Tiny Tim's Mausoleum. Oh no. Um what a what a strange looking man. <laughs> what a beautiful musician he is. So, um I will be looking for a home inside a description of my day being printed on a poster at 5 p.m. uh to be produced at 8 p.m. Wow. Very specific. <laughs> 
Uh, I'll be looking for a home inside this podcast. All right. Hey, there we go. <laughs> More succinct than than two people who have been co-hosting this thing for at least, I think, six years. Uh, so, beautiful. It's been a while. If you're open to it, we could give away a poster, part of this interaction, hey. uh, oh. you know, to someone who listens to your show. And I'm willing to make it one that's been sold out or, or rare or, or what have you. So if there's something that you think would be interesting. I have at least one copy of everything. So, well, let's do this. So what if we ask a listener to this show, what their favorite Jack White tour poster has been from any band iteration. Yep. And they can put that in our reviews on Apple podcasts. And if you put that in there, we will pick one of them. And do that? Does that make sense? We'll take all of those names, put them in a random number generator. Done. Yeah, do that. Go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the random number generator. That's that's great. And then if you two want to decide which poster we give them, I'm you know, again, I'm happy with that. Oh, man. Awesome. So, <laughs> so make sure to include your name and then also email us. You'll get all that information at the end of it. Uh, with a screenshot of your review, make it, like, while you're there, maybe make it five stars. Um, and it's not a bribe. Make sure you tell us, and we'll put that in the in the random generator, and we will do that. That sounds wonderful. Thank you. That's really generous. yeah. Of course, of course, of yeah. course. I mean, to make it easy, if and, and not to be self centered here, because I know Rob and Chris and and many other have have done fantastic posters. Um, but if they specify one of mine that's mm, their favorite, that's then we can actually give them that poster. That's hey. the, that's the, see, it's a collaboration. Yeah, so we, a because, because if, you know, if, if, if they mention, you know, someone else's <laughs> poster, then I'm going to be like, oh, then, you know, so. <laughs> that's a better idea. I love that. Within five minutes, we have proven that though we have been, have six years on you as co-hosts on this show, you are a better one than us. Is yeah. what we're no, no. I've got more years on you in terms of earthly years. Well, um, thank you so much. So it's, it's been wonderful. Thank you. The Third Man Podcast was created, edited, and produced by Paul and James Kaminsky. Our theme song, We're the Third Men, was recorded by the band Radkey, who can be found at radkey.net. To contact the show, visit thirdmenpodcast.com or email thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at the third men underscore podcast on Instagram, at thirdmencast on Twitter, and search the third men on Facebook. Thanks to our Patreon patrons, to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed, and see you next time. Let's go back to our song. Hey everybody, Paul here with a quick message for you. As James and I mentioned many times on the show, this podcast is 100% not-for-profit and a labor of our love for music. We pride ourselves in bringing you interesting, timely content as we have these past 100-plus episodes. Podcasting is, however, a weirdly expensive process, 
and we actually lose money on hosting, time, equipment, advertising, and all the other little things that we need to do to make these shows for you. So, to help break even on some expenses like those, James and I have set up a Patreon account where you can, if you like, chip in a few bucks to help keep the lights on. It can be as much or as little as you can swing, and all donations are greatly appreciated. The last thing we want to do is hound anybody for cash, so just know that listening to our show is always payment enough. But if you would like to help us out, that would be amazing. All right, that's all from me. Remember, you can head to patreon.com slash thirdmenpodcast, and a huge thank you to everyone who's donated already. All right, everybody, I'll see you on the show. Uh, so like or iconographic. It, it, is that a word? Iconographic. I don't know. The beer is starting to James is drunk right mess with the words. <laughs> but um And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. God, that's amazing. I, yeah, I read that to my son often. Uh, we have a little a little stuffed doll of that one. Cool. Hopefully you're talking about the book and not the poster. <laughs> yes, yes. Sometimes well. we sit we sit around a campfire and we read the Jack yeah. White posters yeah. to our children. <laughs> Well, it's cool seeing you guys. I've, I've listened to your podcast a bunch. Um, well, I hope you listen and, to the later uh, episodes rather than the early oh, ones. Yeah, no. <laughs> the early ones can no, be it's rough. really great. And I, I love how um, you, you have, I think I mentioned <laughs> the message to you, but you've got these like little segments and voices like you were doing about, you know, reading the Jack White poster to, to your kids, <laughs> um, which is great. You know, it, it, it elevates it. Definitely. It's very cool. Speaking of that, you already have your tree decorated, Paul.